It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 333 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday, May 15th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure you check out the Locked On Podcast Network as well, which, which hosts team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. you got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd. you got daily episodes of Locked On NBA from a whole array of different hosts from the network. And you can find those all together neatly organized for your listening pleasure on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Each show has its own separate feed as well. On Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, all the places you find podcasts. So please, if you find a show or host that you dig, subscribe, rate, review their work. It's uh, it's very helpful. And the same goes for Locked On Raptors. If you find the page, please leave a rating or review. It's the best way to help out the show. Shows that you care, builds our uh, visibility and stuff like that. So thanks in advance for taking the time. Uh, sorry we didn't have a podcast on Monday. It just I it was a little busy and uh, was a little sad about the Raptors and the state of things. So I uh, decided to take the day off uh, and get back into it today. Uh, and I'm joined today to talk about a subject that is uh, probably going to go counter to a lot of what this podcast has been over 332 episodes. Uh, we're going di- to dive into a realm where Celtic slander is not really uh, present, but to join me for that is Joe Wolfon from The Score. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going about as well as it can be going, considering <laughs> uh, you know, I'm preparing myself to praise the Celtics. So, um, yeah, not bad. Look, man, I've been dreading it all day, too. I came up with this idea overnight, and uh, I'm already regretting it. But, hey, uh, respect where it's due, I suppose. The Celtics are very good, and I'm kind of interested to talk about them sort of through the prism of the Raptors and sort of comparing the two and the rosters and, like, I don't know. When I was watching Game 1 and sort of just, like, reading the stuff after it and just sort of evaluating... What it is the Celtics do well and, and how they're built. I, honestly, you know, I think there's been a lot of jokes pointed the Raptors away, of course, uh, because that's what everything on the NBA uh, internet is now um, until something else hilarious happens to, like, the Rockets or something. But um, uh, through it all, like, I, there's been this prevailing sentiment, I think, that the Raptors roster was just so much better than the Celtics and that, uh, you know, it's an embarrassment that they lost. Whereas I look at the roster for the Celtics, and yes, they're down Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, and obviously that cuts into their talent and their depth, but when I look at the Celtics roster, I kind of see a perfectly built roster. Jonathan Sharks kind of wrote about this today, um, how they're sort of following the the Warriors model a little bit on the ringer, and I don't know, I can't really help but agree that I think looking at it, the Celtics roster kind of makes a lot more sense for a LeBron matchup, and just as like a general NBA matchup than the current iteration of the Raptors roster. Um, but I, I don't know, just general thoughts on that statement alone, Joe. Well, I kind of agree and disagree. I think you're right that they're extremely well built to weather the LeBron matchup. Um, and, and I don't know if that 
necessarily like I guess maybe by extension that just means that they are like a, a better built roster than the Raptors because mm-hmm. that at the end of the day kind of is the only matchup that matters right yeah um but I don't necessarily think that they are like a better team um and I'll say this like the Raptors were at a mass uh, like a matchup disadvantage and I, and I think we saw that um borne out in that series but at the same time like the Raptors did not play well in that series, and like yeah. that, that series was not an accurate representation of what that team was capable of. And maybe um, just given how poorly they matched up with the Cavs, they didn't have what it took to win that series. But they absolutely had what it took to make that a competitive series and not just get embarrassed the way that they did. Like there was no excuse really for them to get swept by this Cavs team, which is not good. Like. The, yeah. They're not they're not that good a team, and then the Raptors made them look like world beaters. Um, so I think that has to be taken into account. At the same time, like I, I think you have like really seen the value of just having an army of versatile large wings, yeah. um, where you can kind of switch pretty much everything. You know, one through four, um, and especially against a guy like LeBron, but, like the Raptors had pretty much one guy who could match up with him one on one. And that created a lot of problems for them. And then, you know, even if you look at kind of what they were doing off of the ball, um, the ability to switch, you know, say like Kevin Love and Kyle Korver off ball screening actions is also really important and really valuable. And um, the Raptors just didn't have that capability and it opened everything up for the Cavs. Um, so. I know that that's kind of where I'm at. I definitely think that this this matchup is is far worse for the Cavs, um, but I also think the Raptors are way better than what they showed. So I guess I kind of land somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I guess my counter to that would be like even if the Raptors roster top to bottom was performing to its potential, you have Serge Ibaka not just being a complete pumpkin, and you have um, you know Jakob Pertl you know doing his rim protection thing that he did all regular season and forgot how to do in the playoffs, and you had. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet shooting well. Like, I still think the same issues are there matchup-wise against LeBron or against any team that, you know, like, if, you, if you're ever going to try to employ a switching scheme, which seems like it's going to be the way to go in the NBA. Chris Herring wrote about this yesterday. This has been a thing for not just this season, of course, but, um, like, it really does feel like this is the season where everyone's just kind of realizing, and I think the Raptors realize this, you know, in the hard way, that, like, yeah, switching is pretty helpful, um, and is kind of the way that you want to go about defending, especially a LeBron team, but a lot of these other teams as well. And I just, uh, when I look at the Raptors roster, I just, I'm not sure if it's really constructed to do that. And I think there are situa- there are certain lineups that maybe you can sort of squeak by with a one, you know, four position switchability. But I do kind of think it's a little bit sort of, you know. <sighs> encumbered a little bit by the fact that DeMar DeRozan is such an important player on the team and that Serge Ibaka is such a you know hit or miss kind of player and Jonas Valanciunas was probably the third best Raptor this season and that dude ain't switching on anybody and he got roasted by you know the the Corver love actions during the during the series and I just I, I don't know I I'm trying to find a like a way in which this Raptors team becomes something like what the Celtics are right now and like I think OG and Pascal are definitely keys to that 
and I think they're really good. And I think even Yak has some ability to switch on smaller guys. Like maybe he can sort of mold himself in the way of a Clint Capella or something like that. I don't think he's going to be as good, but like something along those lines. But I do think there's like a lot of just limitation, either whether it's size or just guys being one-dimensional, like C.J. Miles, who's only an offensive threat at this point. Uh, same with DeMar. Um, and then you have Kyle and Fred, who are just not going to be able to switch on to bigger guys, especially as Kyle sort of ages you know, into the back half of his career here. I don't know. I, I'm trying to. I've, I've been pretty and like all the this. This is all comes with the caveat that like I'm team run it back all the way. But I do think that if you're trying to like look at ways in which the Raptors can improve, the star player stuff definitely is a is a thing. Like obviously they, they need better stars if they're gonna be better than what they are. But I also just like don't know if they have the horses to build a defense that's gonna be capable of you know really thriving in the playoffs. So that we're kind of at the point now where the offense has been squared away, but the defense I think is still a major question mark. Yeah, I agree, and I think they, that goes to, you know, there's like that stat floating out there toward the end of the regular season about how the Raptors, despite having a top-five defense overall, were yeah. like 29th against top-ten offenses. Yeah. And I feel like that does sort of go to their inability to switch, and when you go up against elite talent um, and they can put you in compromising positions, like that's really what you need to be able to do to mitigate that, um, is is just not allow yourself to get totally scrambled Um and the, I, I think there was just like a lot of panic that set in, um, and maybe that was the result of, of kind of knowing that there were so many unfavorable matchups that the Cavs could exploit if they got the switch that they wanted. Mm-hmm. That um, I, you know, you lost count of how many times two Raptors ended up chasing the ball um, on a game by game basis. Like they, I don't know really from one possession to the next what their plan was, whether they wanted to switch pick and roll or whether they just wanted to hedge. Um, because the Raptors didn't seem to know, you know, like the communication wasn't there. It was just, it just kind of registered as sheer panic. And mm. I feel like if you're a Celtics team that, that has the faith um, in the five guys on the floor and in their ability to kind of check whoever they get switched onto, then, you know, there isn't any need for that panic. Like there isn't any need to have two guys running after the ball um, or for guys basically not to know who they're supposed to be covering. Um, it just makes everything a little bit easier. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess to to put it simplistically, I maybe the answer is just to try and find more big um, two way wings. Like, like the, the the Raptors maybe don't have enough two way players. Like uh, yeah. everybody is a little bit one dimensional. Like, who, like who's the best two way player that they have? You know, who who is like kind of comparable in terms of being a high end offensive and defensive player? Like Siakam, probably peak Lowry, but even then he's limited, right? And it's not always engaged. Siakam is probably there. Maybe OG becomes that guy. But yeah, it's uh, ideally it would be like engaged and not f- flaky surge. But that seems to yeah. be a far gone thing. I think that ship has sailed, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, like if we were going to get engaged surge, you kind of figured that it would have happened this postseason, right? Like considering just how much was riding on it. Yeah. Uh, if you're not going to get engaged surge um, in basically the most important series in Raptors history, like I don't know when you're going to get him. I almost wish we had not seen him have that a killer first game against the Wizards, and that he was just shit the entire time because yeah. it would be like a little less tantalizing. You see, like what a fully realized Ibaka is, and like how much that just sort of raises the floor of the team. But the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league 
helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Um, yeah, I think a lot of this kind of circles around Ibaka, and even DeRozan as well to an extent. Like, uh, I love DeMar, and again, I'm fully on bring team team bring DeMar back. Like, I, I'm, I've accepted the Raptors a lot in life, and I'm happy with 50-plus win seasons, even if they end terribly in the playoffs every season. Uh, like, a new coach, I think, can is, will sort of inject a little bit of maybe some optimism as to, you know, some sort of ceiling or that they can scrape that they haven't quite yet. I'm not sure I totally buy it, but I think people will buy into it because people always buy in come September. But um, I, I do think there are some, like, significant issues with DeMar and the, the fact that he can't defend anybody. And Serge, again, just the fact that he was supposed to be, like, this secret weapon they could bust out at center against Kevin Love and have him next to Pascal Siakam and part of that's on Dwayne Casey for not for not really using it until the chips were really down late in the series but also part of it is that Surge was so unplayable for a couple games there that it just you couldn't really risk putting him out there if he was going to be such a nothing on offense and pair him next to Siakam who also you know was not really getting guarded and stuff like that um, and honestly, I, I don't know. I, I guess I found myself very impressed by the Celtics, and it's disgusting. I feel gross, um, and I'm not. Uh, I'm very staunchly anti cult of Stevens. I, I think, like their roster gets pretty underrated. I think whether it's a fa- just like a factor of youth or just like underrated counting stats. In the case case of Al Horford, like even without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, like I think their roster is like pretty good. You know, Jalen Brown is awesome. I have a, This is. I teased this to you when I was uh, setting this up with you, but I have a Jalen Brown take, and that is I think if you swapped Jalen Brown and DeMar DeRozan, the Raptors maybe win that series against the Cavs. Wow. Like, I don't think – so I think in the regular season, like, that's I – don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. DeMar was essential yeah. in the regular season. But if you, like, had, like, a first day of the playoffs trade of DeMar for Jalen Brown, I'm not certain that hurts the Raptors. It might actually help them and, like, improve their – sort of ability to play a you know more cohesive defensive system and I, I don't know maybe that's too hot of a take but I, I think well, Jalen Brown is like pretty awesome and kind of fits what you want out of a wing uh, like to a T and yes DeMar brings you know reasonably efficient high volume offense but uh, I do think the defensive I think if we learn anything in these playoffs it's that defense matters a lot more than I think we were led to believe during like the last couple of years where offense kind of was king like defense matters and if you have a guy who's just like a glaring weakness, that's going to kill you. Yeah, and look, I don't want. I agree that the Raptors would have been better served by having Jalen Brown in that series. I just don't know if it would have been enough for them to actually win it. But Fair enough. I, I'm with. I'm with you. Um, as far like especially, it's kind of hard to argue given how Demar played in that series. You know, if he yeah. played up to his potential in that series, then it would have been a different story. Um, but even then, I might agree that um, just in that specific matchup, having Jalen Brown would have been more beneficial um because yeah like De- like demar's defense is a problem it's been a problem for a while and the raptors for i don't know probably five years running now have been better with him on the bench and there's a lot of noise i think in those on-off numbers um mostly just kyle lowry being awesome noise but yeah, yeah kyle lowry playing with the bench and like they're you know like, like just the way the team is operated I-, I think for one thing the lineup's with DeRozan in them would not be nearly as good if somebody else had to soak up all of those minutes mm-hmm. and and all of like the kind of scoring and playmaking duties that he's assumed over the years. So 
it's a little bit disingenuous to say that they're better without him, but I don't know, at a certain point, if the numbers are telling you something and the eye test is kind of backing it up, like, maybe there's something there. And with DeMar, I don't... It, it's kind of like the Westbrook problem a little bit. Yeah. Um, obviously, what you know, Westbrook's a better player, but it's similar to me in that both of those guys are not really threats without the ball. Yeah. Um, they don't really move off ball that effectively. Like, they're not great cutters. Um, DeMar, I think, is a little bit better than Westbrook, but um, just as a guy who's not really a spot-up shooting threat, um, it's hard to run your offense when that guy's on the floor. And defenses are basically have license to ignore him. Um, and so what ends up happening, naturally, is you just kind of have to funnel most of your possessions through that guy and put the ball in his hands. And that leads to them playing a kind of you know physically tiring and punishing brand of offense that leaves them little energy to play defense. So... Yeah. I feel like that's you know a similarity, and it happens with both guys, and, and neither of those guys is as effective defensively as you feel like they should be, given um, their sort of physical tools. So I, until that changes, I feel like it's just going to continue to be a problem. As much as I feel like DeMar rounds out his game a little bit more every year, that progress, as, as impressive um, as it is, is really incremental. Mm-hmm. And... The Raptors in this iteration, I feel like, are kind of running out of time. Yeah. So I don't know how patient they can afford to be. Um, you know, waiting for him to figure out that like the one area of his game that he really needs to figure out is is defense. Um, so yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, defense and honestly, just like becoming like even more of a three point shooting threat because yeah. as much as he was lauded for figuring that out this season. He was still, what, like a 32% three-point shooter? Yeah, 31, something on, like that. Yeah, on a still, like, you know, fairly low volume of attempts. So those issues are still there as much as he's gotten better every year. Um, and every year in the playoffs, they are kind of laid bare when elite teams find ways to exploit him. So Yeah. Um, is DeMar the worst six foot seven wing <laughs> defender in the league? Because it feels like everyone at that position is just good at defense now. I'm probably missing guys on like really shitty teams, but like yeah, I know. No, I'm trying it's... to think about it, and um, I-, I am also sure that there is somebody who is worse. But yeah, uh, like it's hard to think of one. It's, yeah, it's it's kind of inexcusable. I mean, maybe CJ Miles is worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's six eight. Uh, like. But, but he's also, he's not an athlete like DeMar is an athlete, you know? Like yeah. he, I, I feel like it's a little bit more excusable for CJ, who's a little bit older and doesn't doesn't quite have the strength. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's for lack of capability on DeMar's part. I think it's just, it's a combination of effort and awareness. Um, he gets lost a lot, and I don't know. I don't know if the answer is just for him to, like, put that much more focus on improving himself at that end of the floor, you know, whether that's going to be the thing that he spends the summer doing after he's kind of figured out all this stuff at the offensive end, he's really turned himself into a pretty impressive passer. Yeah. And, um, for all I said about how you kind of have to funnel your possessions through him at the offensive end, like he's, he's improved his game to the point where that's like a viable proposition. And the Raptors offense was really good all year. And it was really good in the playoffs yeah. for the first time ever. Yeah. So, it's very I weird that we're talking about the, the defense, as opposed to the offense. Because, I mean, the defense has not been great in the playoffs in the past, but it's always been the offense that has just been completely garbage. And it's... Uh, right. Yeah. All still kind of revolves around tomorrow, though. It's kind of inescapable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, 
the other thing is like I for for a while my feeling was sort of that really good defensive teams uh, had a better chance of succeeding in the playoffs because if there was ever if a team was going to kind of get nervous and have the yips like that would manifest at the offensive end but like that defense was sort of more impervious to nerves right like if you just knew what the scheme was and what you were supposed to do um you know you can't like you can be nervous and miss jump shots and miss layups but on defense kind of like you just really have to try and just have to like execute the scheme um but honestly like for the raptors that that was what happened like they they looked tight and panicked and i feel like it showed at the defensive end more than anything Super weird. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You you need indeed. Um, yeah, the to get back to my original Celtics point before we can go on the Mark Stein, Demar Derozan report as well too. But um, just I, I'm finding myself talking myself into being less sort of shocked that the Raptors laid such an egg. Just again, like I, I'm not sold that this Celtics roster is like not excellent. I mean, even without Kyrie and Hayward, like I said, I mean. Brown, again, you could argue that he's more of a playoff useful player in certain situations and matchups, especially against LeBron, than DeMar. You could I mean Jason Tatum is ridiculous. He's like if you were to go to, if you're just comparing like starting fives, uh, you give Lowry the edge over any of the, 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 the Celtics guards, but I think you could make an argument that each of the other four positions that the Celtics would have an edge. I mean Al Horford I think is the like a dream playmaker for and just like a dream defensive anchor who can defend a bunch of different positions and sort of do all the things that we wish Jonas Valanciunas could do. Um, yeah. Marcus Morris somehow is just a way more useful player than Serge Ibaka at this point. Jason Tatum is better than OG Ananobi. And then when the Raptors bench was like kind of going through it a little bit, I mean, like it just, that sort of lets it all down. So I, I'm not overly surprised in hindsight, you know, obviously the Raptors fooled, and you wrote about this, the Raptors fooled us, man. Like they fooled us into believing, but I, I just I looking at the two rosters, I don't really have any sort of argument to say that the Raptors are clearly better than what the Celtics have right now, and that's probably a problem. That's probably an indictment of Masai Ujiri or whatever. But um, I, I I don't really think you have to place blame. I just think it's kind of the the reality, and I think that's fine. And winning fifty games is fun, and I'm okay with that. And I think this addition of the Raptors is probably capped out in terms of reaching its potential, but I'm still okay with that, and I'll deal with it for another year or two, and I'll enjoy the regular season and buy into it all over again. Um, but, I don't know, it's... The Celtics are just so exhaustingly good, <laughs> and it's... And, and like, they're, they're, they're set up so well, and it bothers me, and, like, I was listening today to the Zach Lowe, Bill Simmons podcast, and I'm just like, I should be mad at how much Celtics praise is here, but there's just nothing you can argue against. Like, they're just, they're set up perfectly. Yes, they got gifted a bullshit trade that somehow got allowed even though the Chris Paul Lakers trade got vetoed and they got a decade of picks from the Nets and that set themselves up and they have all these other picks coming up and like they've I don't know it's I think it's you know the thing I liked about the Simmons Low podcast today was that they didn't really go too deep into the cult of Stevens stuff because like I do think Stevens is being way over sort of credited and not and, and like to get to my point like I think the roster is a lot better than people are saying and I think the roster deserves 
like a low, like a ton of credit for what they've done. Um, but yeah, like if you're a Raptors fan and you're looking at this Boston team and how it's built, like where do you find hope that the Raptors can replicate something similar? Because you can't really. You're not going to happen into the picks that they just like had fell in their laps, but. Like, I don't know, what do you think should be, like, a path forward here if you're Masai Ujiri trying to sort of recalibrate how to build this team? You've seen what's not worked in the playoffs the last five years. Like, what do you sort of look at, you know, do you use the Celtics as sort of a building block and sort of like a like a blueprint, I guess, or do you have to sort of go somewhere else? I, I, I don't know. The, the Celtics are frustrating me is essentially my point, Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, I can understand that for sure. And I just want to say to your point, like, First of all, I think Brad Stevens does deserve a lot of credit. I think he's done an awesome job and is a really good coach, like probably a top three coach in the NBA right now. Um, and I'm continually impressed just by like his game planning and the way that like the players execute. And I think he deserves credit for that, but the players obviously do too. Um, and I'm with you. Like I, I think the way that people talk about the Celtics team is always sort of in terms of how surprising they are or like how hard they play or how smart they play and the subtext there is always sort of that they're you know playing over their heads mm-hmm. and at a certain point i don't know maybe they're just really good yeah so um that they are like that that's that's where we're at they're a really good team um and as far as replicating it i mean i think the closest thing the raptors can come to doing that is basically committing to the young guys that they have um, that still have a lot of upside. Um, and that to me is OG and Siakam and probably to a lesser extent, DeLon Wright, yeah. Van Vliet, um, Jakob Pertl. Make sure that you don't lock yourself into any bad long-term contracts. Um, maybe see if like, I mean, I don't think you're, you're trading any of those guys just for the sake of trading them, except for maybe Serge. Yeah. Who like if you can find somebody to take on that contract, then yeah, absolutely trade him just to trade him. But um, for like Demar and Kyle and JV, I think unless you can find like a you know like a absolute winner of a trade, um, I think you play out the next two years because you're still going to be good for the next two years. You're going to give those young guys like another couple of years to grow without putting too much responsibility on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that'll be sort of like a slow transition of uh, responsibility within the team infrastructure. And hopefully you get to a point where those guys cycle out, their contracts come off the books, the young guys have sort of come into their own and are hopefully on like reasonable extensions. And that's when you have like a deep and versatile team and you also have like a lot of cap space to play with. Yeah. Because that was you know, that was sort of what the Celtics did. Like, they, their young guys kind of developed and grew together, and they didn't have any bad contracts, so they had cap room to sign Al Horford and then to sign Gordon Hayward. Um, and I don't think it's going to end up working out that well for the Raptors because they're not going to have all those picks to make uh, swing for the fences trade, like, you know, trading for Kyrie. But And they're not going to get top three picks to get <laughs> Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum types, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the size obviously proven that he can find gold late in the first round. So I don't know what you do about this year. I mean, maybe he, maybe they buy a second round pick. Yeah. Uh, that they managed to hit on. Um, but yeah, I think that's your your sort of best course. It's like until unless and until you can find uh, like a home run trade for uh, one of those three guys. I think you just kind of let this window play itself out. Um, and hope you can continue developing those young guys into a core that can be, you know, a sustainable winner. 
Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. Um, we can leave off with some more trade talk, I guess, because, uh, you know, Mark Stein threw out the thing today that the Raptors explored trading DeMar DeRozan last summer. Um, and, you know, really the only way you mentioned, you alluded to the fact that the Raptors don't have a pick this season. The only way that they're doing anything of sort of, you know, upgrading the roster is with a trade this summer. And I don't really see a path to that happening. If people are, like, getting excited about, like, making a big deal, like, I think if you're going to make a big deal, it probably comes at the expense of what you just talked about. And that was sort of, you know, keeping OG and Pascal and sort of grooming them to become the sort of the next sort of foundational pieces for the team a couple of years from now. Like, I feel like if you're trying to make a big swing this summer, those dudes are definitely getting traded because you have no other picks to sort of dangle to, you know, lessen the prospect capital they have to send out. Um, so I take it you're against the idea of sort of consolidating some of this youth to try to make some big deal to sort of pair next to Kyle and DeMar because that's kind of where I am. I think that to do that, you're still sort of overrating what Kyle and DeMar can do as your best players. And again, I love Kyle and DeMar, but I think they've kind of proven that there's a they, they have a ceiling with them as the two best players on a team. I don't think you're getting a player better than them if you consolidate these young guys, and then I think you're sort of setting yourselves up for more disappointment when you get to the playoffs. Or say, I, I don't even know who you, you know, throw out there as a third guy, but um, like you're not in that camp, I suppose, uh, of trying to consolidate the young guys to make a deal. Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is it depends. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it depends who's actually realistically going to be available and. Uh, what the package would look like. Um, I mean, obviously, if there's a chance to get Kawhi, I think, you know, I would throw in pretty much anything. Yeah. But um, as far, like, my point is, like, if you have a chance to acquire someone who's going to be your best player, um, you know, who's going to be better than Kyle and DeMar, uh, and you keep those guys, and then you have, like, a really strong three-man core, and, like, you don't completely decimate your depth, Mm -hmm. um, then I'm willing to think about it. But... Uh, because that doesn't seem at all realistic to me, I am more in favor of... I'm not in favor of, like, making some tweaks if there are tweaks to be made, but I just think, uh, for the most part, yeah, I'm on team run it back as well, because what you have, obviously, like, you know, you kind of saw the ceiling of the team in the playoffs, but you still have a pretty good setup, you know, where you have a really good mix of veterans and young players, and there's still a lot of talent there, um, and there are guys who are comfortable playing together and like really familiar with each other um and i think it's just like a a good opportunity to have a a sort of spurs like model um you know they're not as good as the spurs they're probably not ever going to be as good as the spurs but you have um a situation where there are these vets who are kind of starting to cycle out at the at the same time that you would expect the young guys to start coming into their own and that just gives you a chance to continue to make the playoffs year after year, continue to have a top four seat year after year and give yourself a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you're getting, you know, if you're getting dusted in the second or third round every year, I mean, what are you going to do? But like, I don't think you just punt on a really successful team just because you are tired of watching them lose in the playoffs. I, I don't think that's smart asset management. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I, I think it can get kind of, uh, you know, bleak if you look at it through the terms of the Celtics, like we have in this podcast a little bit. Although we kind of steered off track because it was a, a weak premise to begin with. But <laughs> I think it can get dark if you look at it that way, or if you look at you know sort of the ceilings of Kyle and Demar. But like ultimately, 
like, I don't know, today's draft lottery day. The Raptors aren't sitting here hoping ping pong balls sort of dictate their future. Like, things are much better than I think we would be led to believe by the sort of conversations and sort of the just the uproar of anti-Raptor takes that came out after the Celtics won game one against the Cavs. Um, things are all right. And uh, I think, you know, it, it's it's okay to be upset and okay to sort of, you know, look with sort of longing eyes at teams like Boston and say, I wish, hey, we were, I wish we were them. But, you know, your, your own situation is pretty good too if you're a Raptors fan. So we can leave yeah, it there. I mean- but okay. No, you yeah. what, no, you have something to add. Well, I'll add like it, it doesn't mean that I'm not pessimistic about it. <laughs> um, because I do think, you know, at, at a certain point there are diminishing returns, you know, like uh, the longer it goes on and the, and you know if you continue to kind of run into the same roadblocks or or flame out in the same way, um, I just think uh, you know, eventually there is a shelf life. And I mean, we're seeing that now, right? Like the the fact that Dwayne Casey is gone is a testament to the fact that Mm -hmm. there's a shelf life. And as much as you can kind of just keep running it back and keep having a a certain measure of success, um, eventually like you need to at least try something different. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess that's where I'm at is like, I'm, I'm all for trying something different. And to me, like changing the coach is sort of like the most viable way of doing that because of all the things I mentioned before about how hard it's going to be like fundamentally change the roster and, and have it be a win, mm-hmm. um, and have it be like a sort of smart basketball move. But, um, again, like if, if you do bring in a new coach and keep the roster more or less the same and the same things continue to happen, then obviously I think it's, you know, you're going to have to start looking harder at just, um, you know, going the the rebuild from the ground up route. Um, yeah. Eventually, all good points, man. Um, this is uh, I'm ready for like the off season to happen and like to like not think about the Raptors for a couple months. To be honest, <laughs> I'm with you. It's going a little you. somber, um, but again, it's not. You're not looking at ping pong balls today. Like things could be worse. Uh, Joe, thanks for coming on, man. This was fantastic. Where can uh, people check out your work? Do you have anything you got to plug right now? Um, I have I have like two pretty uh, emotional pieces that I wrote about the Raptors. They were um, excellent. One, thank you. Um, one one about like uh, just the season and kind of like this Raptors era as a whole, um, and one about Dwayne Casey uh, and his firing. So you can check those out at the Score. Um, and uh, I have an NBA podcast also at the Score. It's called Pound the Rock uh, with William Liu and Joseph Cacharo. And you can listen to that on iTunes uh, or SoundCloud on Mondays. And, yeah, check it out. Check me out um, on Twitter, Joey underscore W. And uh, I tweet out all my work. You can follow me there. Never, ever heard of either of your co-hosts, but they sound nice. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they're all right. (laughs) Uh, You also got tennis stuff coming up soon, too, don't you? I do, yeah. That's exciting. Um, I'll hopefully be able to plug that soon. Uh, French Open starts in, like, two weeks. So uh, I will be writing a lot of tennis stuff uh, starting from there and basically all through the summer um it's actually like a really nice break for me from basketball <laughs> and like somber raptors pop so uh yeah it'll be it'll be a nice transition and a welcome one uh well there is no break for me on this podcast seeing as it is daily throughout the next little while uh so you'll be hearing me all this week we're gonna start doing some player review podcasts uh for the season I'm going to get the trivia back going because we're down to the Elite Eight and I totally forgot to do the trivia during the playoffs. So we'll have the, the, the Elite Eight coming up very soon on the 
Locked on Raptors Trivia Tournament. We will do our prop bets as well coming up as well to sort of review those with Vivek Jacob and Sahal Abdi. And uh, yeah, well, there's not much draft stuff to do, which I'm happy about because I don't really care about the draft. And also Draft Express is dead, and uh, there's no good Mike Schmitz videos anymore. So I would be even more clueless than I normally am. But uh, there will be stuff coming up leading previewing the offseason all throughout the next few weeks and daily to through on like till mid-July. So... Uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Please do that. When you go to Pound the Rock, make sure you also go to Lockdown Raptors. It's uh, Just do a little double dip. It's very helpful. It's nice to do. Best way to support the show without spending any money or anything like that. And uh, that's going to do it. Thanks so much. We're going to be back again tomorrow. I'll probably do an episode actually with Brad Rowland from Lockdown Hawks to talk about Mike Budenholzer. Um, just to sort of get the Coles notes on him. And uh, until then, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time on Lockdown Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.